Greetings and welcome to Witnesses of the King. Today we're going to look at a guided tour, a guided tour. We are studying the book of Acts and it's our supreme privilege to be following the earliest missionaries of the Christian movement. Uh, indeed, all that Jesus did was continuing uh, through these great men and women who spread the gospel throughout the world. And we're joining them in Acts chapter 16 on what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. Let's take a look at that momentarily. If we take a look at uh, what we have here is we have a, a map. I'm going to take you to the map just momentarily. Paul's second missionary journey, and this map is from the Lagos uh, basic map set. And you can see uh, they really, many people account his journey start, starting at Jerusalem after the decision in Acts chapter 15. But he does go and spend quite a bit of time in Antioch. So we're moving up the right side of the map there, uh, Jerusalem being in the southeast corner of this map. And they head north to Antioch of Syria and they minister there for quite some time. And then the action where we pick it up in chapter 15 is they leave Antioch of Syria. They head northwest across uh, Galatia and Phrygia in those areas of uh, Asia Minor as we know it today. And then they cross over into Europe. And so we're going to get just to the beginning of that. Their first stop in Macedonia, which will be uh, Philippi. So we're going to join right there, and interestingly though, I'm not going to start there in the scriptures. I'm going to start today uh, with something a little different, and this is Psalm 37.4, one, uh, one of my favorite psalms from very early on in my Christian life. Psalm 37.4 was very formative in, in my personal experience of helping me frame and understand what it means to follow Christ, what it means to know God. And it's the, it simply says this, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And how most people misunderstand that verse is that, oh, okay, that means if I put God first, then he's going to give me what I want. And a better way to understand that verse is this, if I put God first, he's going to give me new wants. In other words, he's going to change our hearts, change the desires in our hearts, because we know that according to the scriptures, the heart can be very deceitful. The heart indeed can be desperately wicked as it's described by the prophets. And so it is this understanding of this verse that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires actually change. And then he commits to fulfill those desires. And this is perfectly consistent with what Jesus teaches in the New Testament about the very nature of prayer. Prayer itself, the very nature of it, he says, whatsoever you ask in my name, that means according to my will. And so the promise of answered prayer are those prayers which are in accord with what God wants. And so prayer is much more about shaping our desires, shaping them to match the desires of God. And then that is answered prayer. That is fulfilled prayer. And we have great joy at the answering of our prayers. And God has great service to him and great glory for all that he does through those answered prayers. And so I want us to start there to understand this is our relationship with God, to have new desires formed in our heart, and then God's going to set about fulfilling those desires. And, and so God is going to give us good things, wonderful things out of the desires of his heart 
and into ours. And so we start there uh, with then a look. And what we're going to do is we're going to summarize today some of the missionary work of Paul as we see it shown to us here in these verses in Acts chapter 15. So we're going to read through the passage, we're going to discuss it, and then we're going to conclude. And we're just going to point out some things along the way. And that's why I've entitled this one A Guided Tour. A guided tour. So let's take a look and join Paul and Barnabas and the others on mission. We start here in uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says this, And after some days, this is some days ministering in Antioch after the decision of the Jerusalem council. That So they've delivered the news from the Jerusalem council. They're in their home church at Antioch of Syria, where they've been ministering for some years. And uh, Paul says to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. But when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, let's begin then with a word of prayer. Father God, it's our earnest desire today to understand these things in such a way that we will glorify you. 
I pray that you'll work work past our weaknesses, that you'll break down the barriers within our heart to what you have to say to us this day through these scriptures, and that you will make yourself known through them. Lord, encourage us for the work of the ministry, and may we indeed be motivated by what we see here and by your goodness in bringing salvation to so many and in ministering to those whom you've brought to salvation by equipping them for further work of the ministry. We thank you, Lord, because you are indeed so good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have the disciples on mission here, the, the apostles. Um, and this time we have Paul and Silas. Well, first of all, let's look at this decision they had to go. They had a decision to go uh, to places where they had already been to see indeed how they are doing. And this decision to go in verse is, you know, characterized in verse 36 for us, uh, where it simply says, after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, let us go, return to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God. So they're going back to check up on the people they had already ministered to first. Then comes this John Mark issue right away. They have an issue, a disagreement, and it says a sharp disagreement. So this was uh, something very important. John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, we find out from Colossians 4.10. And he accompanied them on a previous missionary journey, if you remember from back there in Acts chapter 13. But he left them before the journey was over. Now, this is interesting because Paul says, no, we're not going to take him with us because last time he left us. And we don't know if Paul was bitter about that or if he was being reasonable that we don't know if John Mark can be trusted at this point. Uh, Barnabas, of course, is related to John Mark. There's probably some bias at work there. Uh, maybe Barnabas is a little more forgiving, a little more accepting. Uh, maybe Barnabas understood the reasons John Mark left. We're not given those reasons. We have no idea why he left. Um, but he did leave, and Barnabas and Paul disagree on this point. And it's amazing because we're never given the nature of the disagreement as far as who was right here, who was wrong. Was Paul wrong to be so judgmental, not give him a second chance? Was Barnabas wrong to carelessly select someone for the trip that might not make it through? We have no idea, but this we do know that later in Paul's ministry, Paul describes John Mark as being useful to him and asked for him to be sent to him. And so John Mark is, you know, the, this situation is reconciled. The Paul and Barnabas continue to be friends, that John Mark becomes Paul, part of Paul's team at some point, and uh, indeed, all things are well at the end of the story. Well, so for here, Paul chooses Silas. Now, as you remember, Silas was one of two that was sent from Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas and these letters that they had, that the council had drafted for their decision they made in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul uh, takes Silas with him. So Silas is coming to the scene and Silas is a, a good and faithful person as we learn. And, and we're going to see Paul and Silas in some interesting situations together. And he is mentioned in many of Paul's letters. And so you have uh, Paul and choosing Silas. You have Barnabas choosing John Mark. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. And so we're not going to see Paul go to Cyprus because Barnabas is going to go to Cyprus. They're going to deal with the churches that they had planted there. Paul is going to head uh, northwest. He's going to hit the churches that they saw up on the edge of Asia Minor. 
and then he's going to cross into Macedonia. Then, interestingly, we, we, we meet a new person, Timothy, and Timothy becomes a major force in the, the early apostolic ministry. Timothy is this great blessing to Paul, and Paul a great blessing to Timothy, calling him his son in the faith. So he journeys a great deal with Paul and eventually settles to pastor the church at Ephesus, uh, being mentioned in many of Paul's letters, being mentioned in 1 Timothy specifically. Uh, there are two letters written to Timothy by Paul that we have in the Bible. And in that first one, it mentions that he is there ministering at Ephesus. So late in Paul's life, Timothy is now a pastor. He's a leader of the church in Ephesus. That means that he got to meet the Apostle John because we know John ministered in Ephesus and in all those churches in Asia Minor to some extent. So Timothy jumps on board, becomes a missionary with them. Now we know from the letters of Paul wrote that Timothy's mother was a believer and his grandmother and they raised him teaching him the Jewish scriptures from his youth. So his mother and grandmother both were Jewish and had converted to Christianity, probably on Paul's previous journey through the area, perhaps even earlier than that though. Perhaps Paul showed up on his first missionary journey and found them as believers. We don't know. But Timothy is a believer and he is ready to go on mission. And Paul, whom we just saw, is pretty picky about who goes up with him on mission, must have been really impressed with this young man. At the report of this young man, he had a reputation from the uh, not only his town, but the neighboring town of what he was like. He was already ministering the word of God. And so he had this good reputation and he is a great addition to the team. So you notice we're seeing a little bit of everything here. We're seeing Paul and Barnabas revisit the churches, uh, encouraging them, giving them clarity by the letter. We see that the churches that they took the letter to, that they had visited previously, were greatly encouraged by it, and they were increasing. And so we have uh, Paul and Silas uh, taking the gospel out, reinforcing these churches, Timothy joining the team, uh, a new team being formed of Barnabas and John Mark. And so a lot of exciting things are happening in a, in a short period of time. So here we have all the disciples on mission. But it's important we speak about momentarily the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There are two verses here that are somewhat mysterious in the way that they're stated. In verses 6 and 7 of Acts chapter 16, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So if we go back to our map, uh, we, we indeed see that Phrygia and Galatia uh, they are in that central part of Asia Minor there. So they go through that area taking the gospel. And then we, uh, it says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So you can see they were right on the edge of Asia and they were considering going north and east into Asia, apparently, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do it. So when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So another town that they were thinking to go into, but it says this, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, how this takes place, we don't really know. Perhaps they were just in prayer and they just had the distinct impression, you know, 
maybe going to Bithynia is not the right thing. Maybe that's not how we're going to do this. Or, or maybe it's not the time yet to go into Asia. We should continue our way west and, and see those other churches. Uh, we have no idea. Maybe circumstances prevented it. Maybe the weather was really bad. Maybe, uh, you know, they just had uh, some kind of obstacle get in their way as far as going there. And, and they decided, you know, this, this doesn't seem to be the time. This doesn't seem to be working out. I really don't know. But that's the encouragement. The fact that we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit revealed to them is an encouragement to us because it means that he can operate the way he wants. The Holy Spirit's going to somehow inform them and make it known what the desire of God is concerning the mission. We have nearly, you know, merely to seek that will to seek it in prayer, to seek it in his word, to seek it even in circumstances sometimes. Sometimes a, a, an open door is obvious to us and we just have to do what makes sense. Sometimes we meet somebody and start a conversation. Do you need to have the movement of the spirit to say, why don't you share the gospel with that person? No, we don't need that because we're commanded to share the gospel with people. So when we meet somebody, we have a conversation, we ought to be trying to move it around to gospel topics. We don't have to wait for some kind of a feeling to hit us or some kind of a sign or a vision or a dream or anything like that. We merely have to obey God. And then sometimes what seems just natural to do in obedience to God is the right thing to do. Now, interestingly, also, we have to look at this, that this is a group of men now. You know, it, it was Paul and Silas at the beginning. They've brought Timothy. They may have other people with them as well, serving them and helping them. Paul very rarely traveled alone. And here we have them in a group. And there's something about groups of Christians that we need to be aware of. And this might reveal something to you. Look what Jesus says on the topic of prayer here. He says, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying where a multiplicity, at least two people, Christians, which all have the Spirit of God, are gathered together trying to discern what to do, trying to discern God's will, and asking God to do certain things together in agreement and in the Spirit. It's going to be done. And this is the power of being together. Jesus designed us to be together. Every illustration in the Bible of what the church is has it being an assembly of things. And so this could reveal to you maybe why you struggle so much. Are you trying to do everything by yourself? Are you trying to do everything as this rogue maverick Christian? Uh, you're not joined up with others in the ministry of God. Uh, and you might say, well, I haven't found suitable others around me. Keep trying. God will provide. Pray for it because God wants you to be in fellowship and in connection with others in doing his will. And so where there's two or more gathered, they're going to agree on things. And they agreed 
because it was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit somehow that they were not yet to go into Asia. They were not yet to go to Bithynia, and they continued to travel westward across Asia Minor. So whether it was circumstances or just a feeling or conviction, uh, we do know it was a consensus, and God, we do know that God directs the paths of his servants. Now, then what happens in verse 9 is we have an unusual way that the Holy Spirit directs their path and makes it clear what he's doing. Because obviously he steered them away from Asia. He steered them away from Bithynia. Where is he taking them? And in his kindness, God reveals by the Spirit in a vision, vision to Paul where they're going. And a vision was appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so this is a, a what we call the Macedonian call. And in the Macedonian call, it's interesting. You know, when you first read that, you say a, a man of Macedonia was standing there. Well, Paul, how do you know he's from Macedonia? Does he have a, a Macedonia sweatshirt on? You know, does he have a particular accent? Is he eating a food unique to the area? Well, no, he actually... The man himself in division mentions Macedonia, so that makes it very plain that he is in fact from Macedonia. And Macedonia, according to our map that we see here, uh, Macedonia is just across the Aegean Sea. And the right side of the map there, that large landmass known as Asia Minor, is technically considered part of Asia. And then the left side, where we have Macedonia there, that is part of Europe. And so this is going to be the first ministry into Europe. And so an exciting time that this vision has been given to Paul, we're going to Macedonia. We're going to yet another people group, a different people group, because over in Macedonia, people are a little different and, and they're fixing to travel and meet some very different people in Greece. And so it's going to be quite an adventure. Uh, Paul relayed the vision to others, of course, and, and then they all sought to go there. And by the way, it's interesting to note, we never find out exactly who this man is. We never like, you know, Paul never comes across somebody in the city of Philippi or anywhere else and goes, aha, you're the guy. And, and if he ever did, it's not accounted to us in the scriptures, but, but that's not necessary. See, the Holy Spirit's leading Paul where he wants them to go. And so they go to Macedonia on their way. And this is interesting. They go through Phrygia and Galatia. And the important thing about that is we know that churches end up here. And so they sought to go into um, Macedonia, concluding God had called us to go. And then look at verse 11. Setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Annapolis and from there to Philippi. And so on their way, they're making use of their time and they're not wasting the journey ahead. So then they meet the seller of purple. And this is a, one of the most interesting people, I think, that we meet in the uh, book of Acts. And they meet Lydia, a seller of purple. And again, they're just doing what seems to make sense. Look at verse 13 here. They supposed on the Sabbath, Eh, there's probably people praying down by the river. That was obviously some kind of a tradition. And if we look back into the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, the exiles 
from Israel seemed to gather at the river to worship because they didn't have synagogues yet. And here, this town must not have a synagogue because these God-fearing people, these ones who believed in the God of the scriptures, the God of the Jews, the true God, they are down at the river praying. And so it just makes sense. Let's go down by the river on the Sabbath. Maybe we'll find some people. We can encourage them. Maybe they know about Jesus and we can encourage them. Or maybe they don't know about Jesus and we can tell them. They're just doing what makes sense. And sure enough, the, it pays off. Um, Lydia, a seller of purple. She wasn't from Philippi. She was from Thyatira. And in that area uh, were particular plants that yielded purple dyes. These purple dyes were very expensive. You know, royalty wore purple a great deal. And so Lydia is a seller of something that is, uh, that, that is expensive, something that is in limited supply, something her, where her clientele is not going to be the average person, but it's going to be the elite and the wealthy of the area. And the fact that she is here in Philippi selling this thing from Thyatira suggests that Indeed, she is uh, a, a self-made business person. She's some kind of a go-between, some kind of a, a marketer of these things. And so here we find this wealthy, independent woman who is also a worshiper of God. And so we are immediately confronted with a different cultural context than Asia Minor or the traditional Jewish context in, in that here is a, a, a self-made uh, businesswoman and she believes, she believes God. And like Cornelius and his family believed in the right God, but it says that God opened her heart to understand and to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so God opens her heart. And we know all through the book of Acts, unmistakably, it is God who saves people. It's God who opens hearts. It's, it's God who convicts of sin. And, and then people respond to that by repentance and placing their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. She and her whole household believed and were baptized. And her immediate response to the gospel is to exercise one of the spiritual gifts, hospitality. She insists that Paul and the others stay with her. And I love how Luke writes it here. He says, she prevailed upon us. So they remained in Philippi for some time and a significant and healthy church develops, we know because of a letter from Paul that makes that very clear. So this passage of scripture seems to be a miscellany, but we can sum up what we're seeing here. What we're seeing here is the people of God on mission and we're seeing how the Holy Spirit equips them and moves them and guides them. And it is a wonderful thing because God is intimately involved with this. He didn't just give a list of to-dos and take off. He is continuing to minister by his Holy Spirit to his people. Well, let's look at some encouragements from this and let's see what it is that we can learn. Uh, first of all, I want to encourage you this. God will set the path. God will set the path and that path will be followed by his people in a number of ways. First and foremost is this obedience. A lot of people say, think that finding the will of God, finding the path that they're to be on to serve him is this, you know, vague and, and 
you know, amorphous thing that they have to practically put themselves in a trance of prayer and fast for days. And, and look, prayer and fasting is key part of the Christian life. And it's a key part of knowing the will of God. But sometimes the most plain thing to do right in front of us is simply to obey him. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That implies that first of all, the gospel is preached. And then secondly, they are discipled. That are, they are trained in what they're to do. Jesus said, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And so that means you don't just share the gospel and take off to the next town, that you need to supply some way for that person to grow in the faith, to learn how to obey Jesus Christ and, and all that he taught and all that he did. And sometimes the most simple thing is obedience, just to do what we know to do. If you're meeting with somebody and you want to share the gospel, you don't have to pray about whether you should. Now you ought to pray even in that moment, about how you should. <laughs> but you don't have to pray about if you should. You go and you do it, and you obey God, and you do what's right, and you disciple when you can, and you encourage when you can, and you obey him at all times, and he will make your path straight. Uh, remember where we started, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's obedience. There's also just practicality. Um, they begin their missionary journey where Paul says, okay, we were told to take this letter to the churches we had visited. Let's just go do that. And then let's strengthen these churches. Let's revisit them, see how they're doing, check up on them, strengthen them. And we see Paul has a lifestyle of this very simple practicality. When we read his letters, we see that he is communicating with these churches directly and by others who have visited to see what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? How do they need correction? How do they need encouragement? How can we lift them up? What more do they need to know? And so he writes these letters and they're a mixture of, of encouragement and rebuke, of correction and equipping. These letters have all these elements in them. And one common element all the way through every one of Paul's letters is this passionate love for the people of God to encourage them, to check up on them, to be concerned with them. And that's just a practical matter. Again, not something that we need to do a great deal of soul searching on. This is something that's obvious and it needs to be done. So we do it. Great practicality will keep us on the right path sometimes. And finally, and most importantly, is spirituality. How this happened with Paul not being able to go into Asia and not being able to go to Bithynia, being forbidden, being prevented by the spirit of Jesus. We don't know exactly how that happened. But what we do know is this. We do know the promises of God. Let me show you something from Proverbs that's similar to uh, Psalm 37, 4. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so this is a promise of God that 
putting him first, that trusting him, that acknowledging him in all that we do, he's going to make our path straight. He's going to keep us in his will. He's going to keep us going the right direction. And this is the key to really experiencing ministry as these men experienced ministry in the early years. And so that is spirituality. And that is really the key to doing this. So God will set the path. God will also do the math. Yeah, I had to rhyme there. I'm sorry. But God will do the math. And some of you are heaving a huge sigh of relief because I know how some of you feel about math. I happen to love math because it shows the, the order and beauty of God in, in everything that's been made. But nevertheless, most people don't prefer math. God's going to do the math here. And look what we have examples of. We have examples of all the basic operations of math in this passage. We have addition, where Timothy becomes uh, a lifelong, uh, develops a lifelong mentorship re relationship with Paul. He ministers to Paul's needs tremendously, we can tell from the letters. He pastored a large church. He met the apostle John. How cool is that? John is one of those people we'd love to meet. And, and he has this great life of difficulty, but joy and adventure. And, and he, he hops on board. And so God uh, makes additions to the team. We also saw subtraction and we saw that happen in Acts chapter 13, where John Mark left the team. And we don't know if it was concerns for what was at home. He just didn't like being on the road. He was uncomfortable. He, uh, you know, ran out of money and didn't trust that it would be provided. I, I don't I have no idea why he left the work and he could have had good reason to leave. Uh, and Paul could have been wrong to be so harsh. We don't know. But nevertheless, there are subtractions from the teams occasionally. And he took himself out of that trip. But fortunately, he returns. Now, it caused some division, his return to be with the missionaries, to want to go with them again. But we ended up with two teams and not just one. God made the best of it, as he always does. So some are going to leave. Some are going to move off to worship in other areas, and we won't see them again. Paul and Barnabas, as you know, they had this great adventure together on the previous missionary journey. They would get together, I'm sure, afterwards and say, hey, remember when we were worshipped in that town? And Paul would be like, yeah, that's crazy. I should have been Zeus. I can't believe they thought you were Zeus. Uh, but now... You know, they, they have parted ways and they're ministering separately, but twice the work is being done, really. And we know they continue to be associated. They continue to communicate. We know John Mark becomes an intimate part of Paul's ministry. And so all these things are important to understand. God's going to work these things out. By saying God will do the math, <laughs> I don't want to suggest that God authored the division between Paul and Barnabas, but rather that God makes the best of even our mistakes. God desires unity. God commands unity in his people, but even when we fail in it, he's going to keep the promises of Romans 8.28, which, as you know, says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And so he does work these things to the good of people. And the net benefit of the split was better than the harm it caused. So we saw then the division, Paul and Barnabas parting ways. 
And then we saw also multiplication. All the while they're moving across Asia Minor, Phrygian Galatia, we know there ends up being significant churches there. Uh, Paul or uh, John writes to many of them in the book of Revelation. He writes to seven churches in Asia Minor. We know that Paul writes a letter to the Galatian church, writing to them to encourage them. So there were a great number of churches in that area built just as they're going about their business to deliver these letters to the churches farther west that had already been planted. If we are faithful to go, God will give us a guided tour of what he is doing. And we will see what he is doing. We'll see the work of God changing lives. People will come into your life to minister alongside you and love you and help you. And you will help them and you will come alongside them to strengthen them and serve them. Relationships will grow. Memories will be made. Do you see that this is life with purpose? Indeed, the Christian life is life on purpose. So my encouragement to you is to join Paul and Silas and Timothy and Barnabas and John Mark and a multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language that are being used of God to move people from death to life, from the the madness and insanity of unbelief to the gladness and beauty of belief from their despair to desperately seeking after God, and from their aimlessness to great and directional motivation in the Lord. You have the supreme privilege of being part of that. I encourage you, take it. God will bless it, and God will use you in mighty ways. Let's pray. Father God, it is my sincerest desire that you will take this message, that you will take this passage of scripture, and that you will convince many to step up and get involved in your work. For Lord, it is a supreme privilege, and it is exciting. But Lord, we know sometimes it is dreadful, sometimes it is difficult, but we understand that there is a joy that surpasses any cost, that there is a gladness in heart, of those who serve you that outweighs the disobedience and outweighs the comfort of home. Lord, I pray that you'll just give each and every one of us the faith to take that next step in serving you, to take that next step in knowing you more by experiencing your work as Jesus worked it, as the apostles worked it. Indeed, may we work your will. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name and amen. Well, I hope you've been encouraged and I hope that has helped you. And I want to encourage you, if you're curious about that, if you want a prayer partner along the way, if you want to find a local congregation to serve with uh, in your area, wherever your area is, you can contact us. And you can contact us with further questions to clarify what you've read, what you understand, and we can help you in a multitude of ways. So please contact us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. I will answer those emails personally, and I will get back to you quickly, and hopefully you will be encouraged by it. So thank you for being uh, with me today on this and and with our church, and uh, pray for us as we go forward, as I preach this later on this morning, and as we uh, endeavor to obey God 
in his mission. God bless you.